Book One, Chapter Three of The Cathedral by Hugh Walpole. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Three, One of Jones' Days. I find it difficult now to realize how apart from the life of the world Polchester was in those days. Even now, when the war has shaken up and jostled together every small village in Great Britain, Polchester still has some shreds of its isolation left to it. But then, why, it might have been a walled-in fortress of medieval times for all its connection with the outside world. The isolation was quite deliberately maintained. I don't mean, of course, that Mrs. Cumbermere and Brandon and old Bentick Major and Mrs. Sampson said to themselves in so many words, we will keep this to ourselves and defend its walls against every new invader, every new idea, new custom, new impulse. We will all be butchered rather than allow one old form, tradition, superstition, to go. It was not as conscious as that, but in effect it was that that it came to and they were wonderfully assisted by circumstances it is true that the main line ran through polchester from drymouth but its travellers were hurrying south and only a few trippers a few americans a few sentimentalists stayed to see the cathedral and those who stayed found the bull an impossibly inconvenient and uncomfortable hostelry and did not come again it is true that even then in eighteen ninety seven there were many agitations by sharp businessmen like crosby and john allen croppet and fred barnstable to make the place more widely known more commercially attractive it was not until later that the golf course was laid out and the st leith hotel rose on paul hill but other things were tried uh, steamers on the pole charabancs to various places of local interest and so on but at this time all these efforts failed the cathedral was too strong for them above all brandon and mrs combermere were too strong for them nothing was done to encourage strangers i shouldn't wonder if mrs combermere didn't pay old jolliffe of the bull so much a year to keep his hotel inconvenient and insanitary the men on the town council were for the most part like the canons aged and conservative it is true that it was in eighteen ninety seven that barnstable was elected mayor but without ronder i doubt whether even he would have been able to do very much the town then revolved so to speak entirely on its own axis it revolved between the two great events of the year the summer polchester fair the winter county ball and those two great affairs were conducted in every detail and particular as they had been conducted a hundred years before i find it strange writing from the angle of to-day to conceive it possible that so short a time ago anything in england could have been so conservative i myself was only thirteen years of age when ronder came to our town and saw all grown figures with the exaggerated colour and romance that local inquisitive age bestows about my own contemporaries young jeremy cole for instance there was no colour at all 
but the older figures were strange gigantic almost mythological mrs cumbermere the dean the archdeacon mrs sampson canon ronder moved about the town to my young eyes like gods and goddesses and it was not until after my return to polchester at the end of my first cambridge year that i saw clearly how small a town it was and how tiny the figures in it joan brandon thought her father a marvellous man as i have already said but she had seen him too often lose his temper too often snub her mother too often be upset by trivial and unimportant details to conceive him romantically falk her brother was romantic to her because she had seen so much less of him her father she knew too well for some time after falk's return from oxford nothing happened joan did not know what exactly she had expected to happen but she had an uneasy sense that more was going on behind the scenes than she knew the archdeacon did not speak to falk unless he were compelled but falk did not seem to mind this in the least his handsome defiant face flashed scorn at the whole family he was out of the house most of the day came down to breakfast when every one else had finished and often was not present at dinner in the evening the archdeacon had said that breakfast was not to be kept for him but nevertheless breakfast was there on the table however late he was the cook and indeed all the servants adored him because i suppose he had no sense of class difference at all and laughed and joked with any one if he was in a good temper all these first days he spoke scarcely one word to joan it was as though the whole family were in his black books for some disgraceful act they were the guilty ones and not he joan blamed herself for feeling so light-hearted and gay during this family crisis but she could not help it a very short time ago the knowledge that battle was engaged in the very heart of the house would have made her miserable and apprehensive but now it seemed to be all outside her and unconnected with her as though she had a life of her own that no one could touch her courage seemed to grow with every half-hour of her life some months passed and then one morning she came into the drawing-room and found her mother rather bewildered and distressed oh dear i really don't know what to do said her mother it was so seldom that joan was appealed to for advice that her heart now beat with pride what's the matter mother she asked trying to look dignified and unconcerned mrs brandon looked at her with a frightened and startled look as though she had been speaking to herself and had not wished to be overheard oh joan i didn't know that you were there what's the matter is it anything i can help about oh no dear nothing uh, really I, I didn't know that you were there but you must let me help mother joan marvelled at her own boldness as she spoke it's nothing you can do dear but it's sure to be something i can do do you know that i've been home for months and months simply with the idea of helping you and i'm never allowed to do anything oh really joan i don't think that's quite the way to speak no but mother it's true i want to help i'm grown up i'm going to dinner at the castle and i must help you or or i shall go away and earn my own living this last was so startling and fantastic that both joan and her mother stared at one another in a kind of horrified amazement 
oh no i didn't mean that of course joan said hurriedly recovering herself but you must see that i must have some work to do i don't know what your father would say said mrs brandon still bewildered oh never mind father said joan quickly this is a matter just between you and me i'm here to help you and you must let me do something now what's the trouble to-day i don't know dear there's no trouble exactly things are so difficult just now the fact is that i promised to go to tea with miss burnett this afternoon and now your father wants me to go with him to the deanery so provoking miss burnett caught me in the street where it's always difficult to speak of excuses let me go to miss burnett's instead said joan it's quite time i took on some of the calling for you i've never seen mr morris and i hear he's very nice very well dear said mrs brandon suddenly beginning as her way was when there was any real opposition to capitulate on all sides at once suppose you do go dear i'm sure it's very kind of you and you might take those books back to the circulating library as well it's market day are you sure you won't mind the horses and cows and dogs joan laughed i believe you think i'm still five years old mother that's splendid i'll start off after lunch joan went up to her room elated truly this was a great step forward it occurred to her on further reflection that something very serious indeed must be going on behind the scenes to cause her mother to give in so quickly she sat on her old faded rocking-chair her hands crossed behind her head thinking it all out did she once begin calling on her own account she was grown up indeed what would these morrises be like she found now that she was beginning to be a little frightened mr morris was the new rector of st james the little church over by the cattle market he had not been in polchester very long and was said to be a shy timid man but a good preacher he was a widower and his sister-in-law kept house for him joan considered further on the great importance of these concessions it made all the difference to everything she was now to have a life of her own and every kind of adventure and romance was possible for her she was suddenly so happy that she sprang up and did a little dance round her room a sort of polka that became so vehement that the pictures and the little rickety table rattled i'll be so grown up at the morrises this afternoon that they'll think i've been calling for years she said to herself she had need of all her courage and optimism at luncheon for it was a gloomy meal only her father and mother were present they were all very silent after lunch she went upstairs put on her hat and coat picked up the three library books and started off it was a sunny day with shadows chasing one another across the cathedral green there was as there so often is in polchester a smell of the sea in the air cold and invigorating she paused for a moment and looked across at the cathedral she did not know why but she had always been afraid of the cathedral she had never loved it and had always wished that they could go on sundays to some little church like st james for most of her conscious life the cathedral had hung over her with its dark menacing shadow forbidding her as it seemed to her to be gay or happy or careless to-day the thought suddenly came to her that place is going to do us harm i hate it 
and for a moment she was depressed and uneasy but when she came out from the arden gate and saw the high street all shining with the sun running down the hill into glittering distance she was gloriously cheerful once more there the second wonderful thing that day happened to her she had taken scarcely a step down the hill when she came upon mrs sampson there was nothing wonderful about that mrs sampson being the wife of a dean who was much more retiring than he should be was to be seen in public at all times and seasons having to do as it were the work of two rather than one no the wonderful thing was that joan suddenly realized that her terror of mrs sampson a terror that had always been a real thorn in her flesh was completely gone it was as though a charm an abracadabra had been whispered over mrs sampson and she had been changed immediately into a rabbit it had never been mrs sampson's fault that she was alarming to the young she was a good woman but she was cursed with two sad burdens a desperate shyness and a series unrelenting unmitigating mysterious desperate of nervous headaches her headaches were a feature of polchester life and those who were old enough to understand pitied her and offered her many remedies but the young cannot be expected to realize that there can be anything physically wrong with the old and mrs sampson's sharpness of manner her terrifying habit of rapping out a yes or a no her gloomy view of boisterous habits and healthy appetites made her one most truly to be avoided before to-day joan would have willingly walked a mile out of her way to escape her to-day she only saw a nervous pale-faced little woman in an ill-fitting blue dress for whom she could not be anything but sorry good morning mrs sampson oh good morning joan isn't it a nice day it's cold i think is your mother well very well thank you give her my love i will mrs sampson good-bye good-bye mrs sampson's nose that would take on a blue colour on a cold day quivered her thin mouth shut with a snap and she was gone but i wasn't afraid of her she was almost frightened at this new spirit that had come to her and feeling rather that in another moment she would be punished for her piratical audacity she turned up the steps into the circulating library it was the custom in those days that far away from the dust of the grimy shelves in the very middle of the room there was a table with all the latest works of fiction in their gaudy bindings a few volumes of poetry and a few memoirs close to this table miss milton sat wrapped in the warmest weather in a thick shawl and knitting endless stockings she hated children myself in particular she was also a snob of the snobs and thanked god on her knees every night for lady st leath mrs cumbermere and mrs sampson by whose graces she was left in her present position joan was still too near childhood to be considered very seriously and it was well known that her father did not take her very seriously either she was always therefore on the rare occasions when she entered the library snubbed by miss milton it must be confessed that to-day in spite of her success with mrs sampson she was nervous 
she was nervous partly because she hated miss milton's red-rimmed eyes and never looked at them if she could help it but in the main because she knew that her mother was returning the library books too quickly and had moreover insisted that she should ask for mr barry's sentimental tommy and mr seaton merriman's the sowers both of them books that had been asked for for weeks and as steadily and persistently refused joan knew that miss milton would say that they might be in next week but she couldn't be sure was joan strong enough now in her new-found glory to fight for them she did not know she advanced to the table smiling miss milton did not look up but continued to knit one of her horrible stockings good morning miss milton mother has sent back these books they were not quite what she wanted i'm sorry for that miss milton took the books into her chill-blained protection it's a little difficult i must say to know what mrs brandon prefers well there's sentimental tommy began joan but miss milton was an old general oh that's out i'm afraid now here's a sweetly pretty book roger varibo's wife by adeline sargent it's only just out or there's the sowers said joan caught against her will by the red-rimmed eyes and staring at them oh that's out i'm afraid there are several books here you promised mother said joan that she should have sentimental tommy this week you promised her a month ago it's about time that mother had a book that she cares for really said miss milton wide-eyed at joan's audacity you seem to be charging me with some remissness miss brandon if you have any complaint i'm sure the library committee will attend to it it's to them i have to answer when the book is in you shall have it i can promise no more i am only human you have said that now for three months said joan beginning to her own surprised delight to be angry surely the last reader hasn't been three months over it i thought subscribers were only allowed to keep a book a week miss milton's crimson colouring turned to a deep purple the book is out she said both books are out they are in great demand i have no more to say the library door opened and a young man came in joan was still too young to wish for scenes in public she must give up the battle for to-day when however she saw who it was she blushed it was young lord st leath johnny st leath as he was known to his familiars who were many and of all sorts and conditions joan hated herself for blushing especially before the odious miss milton but there was a reason one day in last october after morning service joan and her mother had waited in the cloisters to avoid a shower of rain st leath had also waited and very pleasantly had talked to them both there was nothing very alarming in this but as the rain cleared and mrs brandon had moved forward across the green he had suddenly with a confusion that had seemed to her charming asked joan whether one day they mightn't meet again he had given her one look straight in the eye tried to say something more failed and turned away down the cloisters joan had never before been asked by any young man to meet him again she had told herself that this was nothing but the merest most obvious politeness nevertheless the look that he had given her remained 
now as she saw him advancing towards her there was the thought was it not on that very morning that her new courage and self-confidence had come to her the thought was so absurd that she flung it at miss milton but the blush remained johnny was an ungainly young man with a red face freckles a large mouth and a bull terrier a conventional british type i suppose saved nevertheless from conventionality by his affection for his three plain sisters his determination to see things as they were and his sense of humour the last of these something quite his own and always appearing in unexpected places the bull terrier in spite of the notice on the library door that no dogs were admitted advanced breathlessly and dribbling with excitement for miss milton's large black felt slippers here andrew old man heel heel said johnny andrew however quite naturally concluded that this was only an approval of his intentions and there might have followed an awkward scene had his master not caught him by the collar and held him suspended in mid-air to his own indignant surprise and astonishment joan laughed and miss milton quivering between indignation fear and snobbery dropped the stocking that she was knitting andrew burst from his master's clutches rushed the stocking into the farthest recesses of the library and proceeded there to enjoy it johnny apologized oh it's quite all right lord Leith," said miss milton what a fine animal yes he is said johnny rescuing the stocking he's as strong as lucifer here andrew you devil i'll break every bone in your body during this little scene johnny had smiled at joan and in so pleasant a way that she was compelled to smile back at him how do you do miss brandon he had recalled andrew now and the dog was slobbering happily at his feet jolly day isn't it yes said joan and stood there awkwardly feeling that she ought to go but not knowing quite how to do so he also seemed embarrassed and turned abruptly to miss milton i say look here mother asked me to come in and get that book you promised her uh, what, what's the name of the thing i've got it written down he fumbled in his pocket and produced a bit of paper uh, here it is sentimental tommy by a man named barry silly name but mother's always reading the most awful stuff joan turned toward miss milton how funny she said that's the book i've just been asking for it's out miss milton's face was a curious purple well that's odd said johnny mother told me that you'd sent her a line to say it was in whenever she sent for it it's been out three months said joan staring now straight into miss milton's angry eyes i've been keeping said miss milton that is there's a special copy lady st lee specially asked is it in or isn't it asked johnny there is a copy lord st leath with confused fingers miss milton searched in a drawer she produced the book you told me said joan forgetting now in her anger st leath and all the world that there wouldn't be a copy for weeks if you'd told me you were keeping one for st leath that would have been different you shouldn't have told me a lie do you mean to say said johnny opening his eyes very widely indeed that you refused this copy to miss brandon certainly said miss milton breathing very hard as though she had been running a long distance i was keeping it for your mother 
"'Well, I'm damned,' said Johnny. "'I beg your pardon, Miss Brandon, but I never heard such a thing. Does my mother pay a larger subscription than other people?' "'Certainly not.' "'Then what right had you to tell Miss Brandon a lie?' Miss Milton, in spite of long training in the kind of warfare attaching, if necessary, to circulating libraries, was very near to tears, also murder. She would have been delighted to pierce Joan's heart with a bright stiletto had such a weapon been handy. She saw the softest, easiest, idlest job in the world slipping out of her fingers. She saw herself a desolate and haggard virgin begging her bread on the Polchester streets. She saw—but uh, never mind her visions. They were terrible ones. She had recourse to her only defence. "'If I have misunderstood my duty,' she said in a trembling voice, "'there is the library committee.' "'Oh, never mind,' said Joan, whose anger had disappeared. "'It doesn't matter a bit. We'll have the book after Lady St. Leith.' "'Indeed you won't,' said Johnny, seizing the volume and forcing it upon Joan. "'Mother can wait. I never heard of such a thing.' He turned fiercely upon Miss Milton. "'My mother shall know exactly what has happened. I'm sure she'd be horrified if she understood that you were keeping books from other subscribers in order that she might have them. Good afternoon.' He strode from the room. At the door he paused. "'Can I—shall uh, we—are uh, you going down the high street, Miss Brandon?' "'Yes,' said Joan. They went out of the room and down the library steps together. In the shiny, sunny street they paused. The dark cobwebs of the library hung behind Joan's consciousness like the sudden breaking of a mischievous spell. She was so happy that she could have embraced Andrew, who was, however, already occupied with the distant aura of a white poodle on the other side of the street. Johnny was driven by the impulse of his indignation down the hill. Joan, rather breathlessly, followed him. "'I say,' said Johnny, "'did you ever hear of such a woman? She ought to be poisoned. She ought indeed. No. Poisoning's too good for her. Hung, drawn, and quartered. That's what she ought to be. She'll get into trouble over that.' "'Oh, no,' said Joan. "'Please, Lord St. Leith, please don't say any more about it. She has a difficult time, I expect, everybody wanting the same books. After all, a promise is a promise.' but she'd promised your mother no she never really did she always said that it would be in in a day or two she never properly promised i expect we'd have had it next the snob the rotten snob johnny paused and raised his stick i hate women like that no she's not doing her job properly she oughtn't to be there so swift had been their descent that they arrived in a moment at the market because to-day was market-day, there was a fine noise, confusion, and splendour. Carts rattling in and out, sheep and cows driven hither and thither, the wooden stalls bright with flowers and vegetables, the dim arcades looming behind the square, filled with mysterious riches. They could not talk very much here, and Joan was glad. She was too deeply excited to talk. At one moment St. Leith took her arm to guide her past a confused mob of bewildered sheep. The Glebeshire peasant on marketing day has plenty of conversation. 
old wrinkled women stout red-faced farmers boys and girls all shouted together and above the scene the light driving clouds flung their transparent shadows like weaving shuttles across the sun oh do let's stop here a moment said joan peering into one of the arcades i've always loved this one all my life i've never been able to resist it this was the toy arcade now i'm afraid gone the way of so many other romantic things it had been to all of us the most wonderful spot in polchester from the very earliest days this partly because of the toys themselves partly because it was densest and darkest of all the arcades never utterly to be pierced by our youthful eyes partly because only two doors away were the sinister rooms of mr dawson the dentist here not only was there every kind of toy—dolls, soldiers, horses, carts, games, tops, hoops, dogs, elephants—but also sweets, chocolates, jujubes, caramels, and the best sweet in the whole world, the Polchester Bullseye. They went in together. Mrs. Magnet, now with God, an old woman like a berry, always in a bonnet with green flowers, smiled and bobbed the colours of the toys jumbled against the dark walls were like patterns in a carpet what do you say miss brandon said johnny if i give you a toy will you give me one yes said joan afraid a little of mrs magnet's piercing black eye you're not to see what i get turn your back a moment joan turned around as she waited she could hear the hi hi whoa of the market cries the bleating of the sheep the lowing of a cow here you are then she turned he presented her with a japanese doll gay in a pink cotton frock his waist girdled with a sash of gold tissue now you turn your back she said in a kind of happy desperation she seized a nigger with bold red cheeks a white jacket and crimson trousers mrs magnet wrapped the presents up they paid and walked out into the sun again i'll keep that doll said johnny just as long as you keep yours good-bye said joan hurriedly i've got to call at a house on the other side of the market good-bye she felt the pressure of his hand on hers then clutching her parcel hurried almost ran indeed through the market stalls she did not look back when she had crossed the square she turned down into a little side street the plan of polchester is very simple it is built as it were on the side of a rock running finally to a flat top on which is the cathedral down the side of the rock there are broad ledges and it is on one of these that the market-place is built at the bottom of the rock lies the jumble of cottages known most erroneously as sea town and around the rock runs the river pole slipping away at last through woods and hills and valleys into the sea at high tide you can go all the way to the river by the sea and in the summer this makes a pleasant and beautiful excursion it is because of this that sea-town has perhaps some right to its name because in one way and another sailors collect in the cottages and at the dog and pilchard that pleasant and democratic hostelry of which in eighteen ninety seven samuel hogg was landlord many visitors have been known to declare that sea-town was too sweet for anything and that it would be really wicked to knock down the ducks of cottages 
but the ducks of cottages were the foulest and most insanitary dwelling-places in the south of england and it has always been to me amazing that the polchester town council allowed them to stand so long as they did in nineteen o two as all the glebeshire world knows there was the great battle of seatown ending in the cottages destruction in eighteen ninety seven those evil dwelling-places gloried in their full magnificence of sweet corruption nor did the periodical attacks of typhoid alarm in the least the citizens of the upper town once and again gentlemen from other parts paid mysterious official visits but we had ways in old times of dealing with inquisitive meddlers from the outside world because the market-place was halfway down the rock and because the rectory of st james was just below the market-place the upper windows of that house commanded a wonderful view both of the hill high street and cathedral above it and of sea-town river and woods below it it was said that it was up this very rocky street from the river through the market and up the high street that the armed enemies of the black bishop had fought their way to the cathedral on that great day when the bishop had gone to meet his god and a piece of rock is still shown to innocent visitors as the place whence some of his enemies in full armour were flung down many thousand feet to the waters of the pole joan had often longed to see the view from the windows of st james rectory but she had not known old dr burroughs the former rector a cross man with gout and rheumatism she walked up some steps and found the house the last of three all squeezed together on the edge of the hill the rectory because it was the last stood square to all the winds of heaven and joan fancied what it must be in wild wintry weather soon she was in the drawing-room shaking hands with miss burnett who was mr morris's sister-in-law and kept house for him miss burnett was a stout negative woman whose whole mind was absorbed in the business of housekeeping prices of food wickedness and ingratitude of servants maliciousness of shopkeepers and so on the house with all her managing was neither tidy nor clean as joan quickly saw miss burnett was not by temperament methodical nor had she ever received any education her mind so far as a perception of the outside world and its history went was some way behind that of a hottentot or a south sea islander she had from the day of her birth been told by every one around her that she was stupid and after a faint struggle she had acquiesced in that judgment she knew that her younger sister afterwards mrs morris was pretty and accomplished and that she would never be either of those things she was not angry nor jealous at this the note of her character was acquiescence and when agatha had died of pleurisy it had seemed the natural thing for her to come and keep house for the distressed widower if mr morris had since regretted the arrangement he had at any rate never said so miss burnett's method of conversation was to say something about the weather and then to lapse into a surprised and distressed stare if her visitor made some statement she crowned it with well now that was just what i was going to say her nose when she talked twinkled at the nostrils apprehensively and many of her visitors found this fascinating so that they suddenly with hot confusion realized that they too had been staring in a most offensive manner 
joan had not been out in the world long enough to enable her to save a difficult situation by brilliant talk and she very quickly found herself staring at miss burnett's nose and longing to say something about it as for instance what a strong nose you've got miss burnett see how it twitches or if you'll allow me miss burnett i'd just like to study your nose for a minute when she realized this horrible desire in herself she blushed crimson and gazed about the untidy and entangled drawing-room in real desperation she could see nothing in the room that was likely to save her she was about to rise and depart although she had only been there five minutes when mr morris came in joan realized at once that this man was quite different from any one whom she had ever known he was a stranger to her polchester world in body soul and spirit as though a foreigner from some far distant country he had been shipwrecked and cast upon an inhospitable shore so strangely did she feel this that she was quite surprised when he did not speak with a foreign accent oh he must be a poet was her second thought about mr morris not because he dressed oddly or had long hair she could not tell whence the impression came unless it were in his strange bewildered lost blue eyes lost bewildered yes that was what he was with every movement of his slim straight body the impulse with which he brushed back his untidy fair hair from his forehead he seemed like a man only just awake a man needing care and protection because he simply would not be able to look after himself so ridiculously did she have this impression that she almost cried look out when he moved forward as though he would certainly knock himself against a chair or a table how strange she thought that this man should live with miss burnett what does he think of her she was excited by her discovery of him but that meant very little because just now she was being excited by everything she found at once that talking to him was the easiest thing in the world mr morris did not say very much he smiled gently and when miss burnett awaking suddenly from her torpor said you'll have some tea miss brandon won't you he smiling softly repeated the invitation thank you said joan i will how strange it is she went on that you are so close to the market and even on market day you don't hear a sound and it was strange as though the house were bewitched and had suddenly even as joan entered it gathered around it a dark wood for its protection yes said mr morris we found it strange at first but it's because we are the last house and the three others protect us we get the wind and rain though you should hear this place in a storm but the house is strong enough it's very stoutly built not a board creaks in the wildest weather only the windows rattle and the wind comes roaring down the chimneys how long have you been here asked joan nearly a year and we still feel strangers we were near ashford and kent for twelve years and the glebeshire people are very different well said joan who was a little irritated because she felt that his voice was a little sadder than it ought to be i think you'll like polchester i'm sure you will and you've come in a good year too there's sure to be a lot going on this year because of the jubilee mr morris did not seem to be as thrilled as he should be by the thought of the jubilee so joan went on 
it's so lucky for us that it comes just at the polchester feast time we always have a tremendous week at the feast the horticultural show and a ball in the assembly rooms and all sorts of things it's going to be my first ball this year although i've really come out already she laughed festivities start to-morrow with the arrival of marquis marquis repeated mr morris politely oh don't you know marquis he is the greatest circus in england he comes to polchester every year and they have a procession through the town elephants and camels and britannia in her chariot and sometimes a cage with the lions and the tigers last year they had the sweetest little ponies four of them no higher than st bernard's and there are the clowns too and a band she was suddenly afraid that she was talking too much silly too in her childish enthusiasms she remembered that she was in reality deputizing for her mother who would never have talked about the circus fortunately at that moment the tea came in it was brought by a flushed and contemptuous maid who put the tray down on a little table with a bang tossed her head as though she despised them all and slammed the door behind her miss burnett was upset by this and her nose twitched more violently than ever joan saw that her hand trembled as she poured out the tea and she was at once sorry for her mr morris talked about kent and london and tea was drunk and the saffron cake praised and joan thought it was time to go at the last however she turned to mr morris and said do you like the cathedral it's wonderful he answered you should see it from our window upstairs oh i hate it said joan why morris asked her there was a curious challenge in his voice they were both standing facing one another i suppose that's a silly thing to say only you don't live as close to it as we do and you haven't lived here so long as we have it seems to hang right over you and it never changes and i hate to think it will go on just the same years after we're dead have you seen the view from our window morris asked her no said joan i was never in this house before come and see it he said i'm sure said miss burnett heavily miss brandon doesn't want to be bothered when she's seen the cathedral all her life too of course i'd love to see it said joan laughing to tell you the truth that's what i've always wanted i looked at this house again and again when the old canon burroughs was here and thought there must be a wonderful view she said good-bye to miss burnett my mother does hope you will soon come and see us she said i have just met mrs brandon for a moment at mrs cumbermere's said mr morris we'll be very glad to come she went out with him it's up these stairs he said two flights i hope you don't mind they climbed on to the second landing at the end of the passage there was a window the evening was grey and only little faint wisps of blue still lingered above the dusk but the white sky threw up the cathedral towers now black and sharp-edged in magnificent relief truly it was a view the window was in such a position that through it you gazed behind the neighboring houses above some low roofs straight up the twisting high street to the cathedral the great building seemed to be perched on the very edge of the rock almost you felt swinging in mid-air and that so precariously that with one push of the finger you might send it staggering into space 
joan had never seen it so dominating so commanding so fierce in its disregard of the tiny clustered world beneath it so near to the stars so majestic and alone y yes it's wonderful she said oh but you should see it he cried as it can be it's dull to-day the sky's grey and there's no sunset but when it's flaming red with all the windows shining or when all the stars are out or in moonlight it's like a great ship sometimes and sometimes like a cloud and sometimes like a fiery palace sometimes it's in mist and you can only see just the top of the towers i don't like it said joan turning away it doesn't care what happens to us why should it he answered think of all it's seen the battles and the fights and the plunder and it doesn't care we can do what we like and it will remain just the same people could come and knock it down joan said i believe it would still be there if they did the rock would be there and the spirit of the cathedral what do people matter beside a thing like that why we're ants he stopped suddenly you'll think me foolish miss brandon he said you have known the cathedral so long he paused i think i know what you mean about fearing it he saw her to the door good-bye he said smiling come again i like him she thought as she walked away what a splendid day she had had End of book one chapter three